And so uh, bless us, O oh Lord, we pray, because our hearts are broken over the wickedness that abounds in this nation of ours. Have mercy, O oh Lord, have mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in Romans, Romans chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, open them there. And uh, make sure I've And I'll be reading this morning uh, verses 14 through 24. Even though we did discuss, I believe, 14 and 15, I'll start reading there through verse 24 of Romans 9. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does God still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, all the willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make uh, known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. And again, we, this morning, will look at uh, uh, God's mercy in saving each and, and every one of us, that we might more and more and more and more understand uh, the mercy of God in the in the uh, the grace that is offered uh, through His Son, and uh, we're dealing, of course, with this very difficult and and uh, doctrine of of election. And this will be the last message on that, moving into an, to another subject next week. But uh, we uh, Paul is talking about the objections that men have uh, to this doctrine and uh, the objections that might come up. And so Paul anticipated that these questions would arise. We saw in, in chapter 9, verses 1, for those who were not here, just briefly, verses 1 through 3, Paul has great concern for his fellow countrymen. In verses 4 and 5, he even lists the privileges that the Jews had. And in verse 6, Paul says, uh, that don't think the word of God has failed, for it has not failed. And uh, just because uh, the Jews were a part of the nation did not mean that they were spiritual children. So the word of God has, has not failed in that every uh, person in that nation uh, became a believer. But uh, uh, 
he, he says the principle is that there has been a selection of individuals going on down through the ages. And he illustrates that with Isaac being chosen and not Ishmael. Uh, and then Paul t- uh, also uh, tells of Esau and Jacob in verse 11, where they had done nothing good or bad. We saw uh, where it says, For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice or election, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. And of course, we see then, God gets all the glory. Uh, as, we, as was read this morning uh, in, from the book of Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And we need to understand that and have a, uh, a right understanding of that. But uh, these two, uh, Jacob and Esau, having done nothing good or bad. In other words, they were both big sinners. Amen. <laughs> we're all big sinners. And I don't know if you're aware of that yet, but you, if not, you need to understand that we're all big sinners. And uh, we need, all of us, the, the grace of God. And uh, I have, uh, my problem is not understanding uh, why God hated Esau. My problem is understanding why he loved Jacob. And I hope that's true about your own life as well. I don't understand why God had mercy on me. And you've got to understand that, that we deserve the, the wrath of God. And Paul here is pouring out his heart in this, in this area. And uh, and this is a tough subject. It really is. I'm not, I'm not saying this is easy to talk about because it's not. We did see last week the first objection that a person could raise then an objection uh, would be, then God is unjust to choose, from verse 14. And he says, uh, what is that? He says, uh, there is never injustice with God, is there? In other words, Paul asked, and he says, may it never be. May it never be. There is no injustice with God. And uh, we, we understand that, that uh, God is totally just. In what he does. He is totally just in what he does. And uh, we must trust and understand that. And, uh, but man, of course, wants to be in control. Man wants to have the final word. Man wants to blame God for the predicament that he's in. And that God is responsible for his sin. God is responsible for his suffering. And he will not. He will not look to himself and blame himself for his problems. But that's what we have to do. We have to understand we're the problem. You know, I met the enemy and he's me. (laughs) We're our own worst enemy. But uh, we have to be careful not to point fingers and blame other people and blame God uh, for our problems. And this has been going on since the Garden of Eden. Lord, it's this woman you gave me. Lord, if my parents had just been better, I'd have turned out differently. And on and on we can go down that blame game. And I talked about that. And uh, 
But anyway, the first objection to God choosing we saw last week is that God would be unjust. And God is not. But that's the question that man would raise. And Paul's answer to that is from the Old Testament, verse 15. Uh, God owes no man mercy. And he uses Moses as an example. We all rebel against him. And God would be perfectly just if he had mercy on no one. He would be perfectly just. And you have to understand this and get this settled in your own heart. God would be just if he had mercy on no one. Why? Because we all deserve his wrath. See, we all deserve his wrath. And so if God had mercy just on one person, he would be a merciful God. See? And uh, we also saw in verse 16 that it's not man's will that determines it. It's not God cast a vote for you, Satan cast a vote against you, and you cast the deciding vote. And we saw that, that... uh, A man cannot just say on his own, apart from the spirit and power of God working in him, uh, I will save myself. No. We know in in John 6.44, what did Jesus say? No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me, what? Draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. You must be drawn by the spirit and power of God. And he also goes on and says, it's, it's not uh, his effort, his running, that, I, that uh, I deserve it. I did this and therefore I deserve it. Behind it all, we looked last week, is the will of God. And uh, the will of God is behind it. Why? Because the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Yeah. Our wills are fallen. As well, a lot of people would like to say, "Man is fallen except for his will." You can't find that in Scripture. It cannot be found in Scripture. Why? Because the heart, the heart is deceitful. In the heart, in the Greek, the cardia is made up of your mind, your emotions, and your will, your want to. And so, God must change that as well. And if you're not changed by the Spirit and power of God, what will you want to do? You will want to serve yourself. You will want to live for yourself. You will want to please yourself apart from the Spirit of God working in you. And that's the clear teaching, I believe, of Scripture. And, uh, and he says here negatively about Pharaoh. Uh, God's power and who God is is known because of what happened to Pharaoh. And boy, that's, that's incredible. Neither Pharaoh nor Moses had a claim on God. Neither one of them. How God chose Moses and not Pharaoh, the Bible is silent, silent concerning that. And that's God's choice in the matter. But remember, Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. God did not uh, uh, deny Pharaoh what he wanted. It's not that Pharaoh wanted to be saved, but God wouldn't save him. That's not what Scripture teaches. Pharaoh wanted to go his own way. And uh, the Bible is, is clear that God works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We saw that in Philippians 2.13. And uh, so now we come to the message this week is, in verse 19, 
You will say to me then, why does, uh, why does he, that is God, still find fault for who resists his will? Is what Paul is saying here. Paul knew that there would be questions that were raised and uh, that man would say, well, does God then still find fault with me if he chooses? Because who resists his will is what Paul is saying. And that is true. None resist his will. And I'm thankful for that. You see, I am thankful that sovereignly he works in our lives. He draws us he draws us to Himself by His mighty power. And so when God determines somebody will be saved, they will be saved. And I'm thankful for that. All that the Father gives me, Jesus said, will, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Amen. See, that's a promise that we have. Amen. That's a promise from God's Word. But Paul is addressing this doctrine because he knew there would be those objections to this doctrine. That's why, he, that's why he deals with this, and that's why it's so important in our lives. Because we must understand and not blame God and not have any ill feelings towards him. You see, Paul could have answered this when it says, then who resists his will? His will? He could have just said, <clears throat> oh, don't you know that you can resist his will? That you're in charge? That you're the captain of your fate? He could have said that, but he did not say that. Man is responsible for his sin. Man is responsible for his sin. And it's not we cast the deciding vote. No, he draws us by his mighty power. And... Uh, uh, and he says, and when Paul deals with a person who would say, I'm not responsible then, I'm not at fault. By the way, uh, do you know why God finds fault? Why does God find fault with you? Because you are at fault. You are a sinner who is lost. Without Christ, you are lost. Because you are at fault. This is what Paul is saying here. You're at fault. And that's why God finds fault with you. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he is justly and rightly blamable for this. He was wicked to the core. And Paul deals with the spirit of the man who would question God in verse 20. In verse 20, what does he say? He says, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Pretty strong language, isn't it? Pretty strong language. We as God's created beings don't have a right to call God to the court, to the bar of justice, and ask, why did you do that, God? You see, we don't have a right. We're, we're created beings. He, as we will see, is the potter, and I am the clay. It's, it's just as clear as it can be here as far as I'm concerned. We're the, he is the potter, and we are the clay. 
And so that's a wrong spirit to question God. Now, do you ever question God? Yes, I do. I do. I question God. God, why did you allow that to happen? Even after I'm a Christian, I do that. I call God into question. And I accuse Him of ill treatment. I hurl charges at Him. But my beloved brethren, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. To, it's sin to do that. To question a God of, of such wonderful mercy and grace. Amen. To call Him into question and hurl accusations. Shake our fist in His face. We need to really understand what Paul is saying here. And to, to accuse Him of ill treatment. And so Paul's answer that he gives is found in verse 21 of this chapter. Does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? And the answer is, yes, he does. This is what he's saying. Yes, he does. He does have that right. You see, God is not talking about neutral beings here. He is not talking about innocent people that are born innocent. Remember what David said in Psalm uh, uh, 51 in verse 5? He said, in sin did my mother conceive me. And I've had people tell me and, and talk to them and say, oh no, you don't understand. His mother was a sinner when he was conceived. That's what he's talking about there. Oh, no, he's not. He's talking about, David said, I was born, I was conceived as a sinner. I was wicked to the core at my conception. And that's true of all of us. We're all depraved. We start off with filthy and black hearts. We start off as, as his enemy. And you know, in the 21st century, the church, and, and, uh, and even in the 20th century particularly, the church was bombarded with what I believe, humanism. Man-centered Christianity. But we've got to bring it back to God-centered Christianity. We've got to do it. It's so important, and Paul is, is, is teaching us this here, that man is not basically good. Man is evil, wicked to the core, and needs Christ. And so it's really interesting because we see here uh, an interesting thing. And we're invited to the potter's house and watch the amazing grace of God taking lumps of clay and turning them into vessels of mercy. Amen. See, that's the amazing thing is that that's what he is, he is doing here. Uh, and we should be thankful that we have been made of vessels of mercy. That we're no longer vessels of wrath, but vessels of mercy. And we should desire to other, for other people to understand that and to, to know that truth. Because all vessels deserve His wrath. Notice here what he says, that uh, we're all made from the same lump of clay. 
We're all made from the same lump. There's nothing about you or, or that's better than anyone else that's ever been born. Uh, we're all from that same lump. All the lump is a willful, corrupt, disobedient mass of humanity, as one man said. And from, uh, uh, from God's potter wheel came these vessels. And uh, the same material, though, is found in each one of the vessels. And apart from the grace of God, apart from the mercy of God, you could be a Hitler, you could be Cain, you could be Stalin, you could be Judas, you could be Demas, you could be Carl Sagan, you could, become, you could be Hugh Hefner. These people that care nothing about the grace of Christ and the, and the mercy of God. You could be like that, apart from his mercy. And this is what Paul is pounding in, into us here. And if God has made you a vessel of mercy, it is not anything in you. We're all made from the same lump. We're all made from the same lump. That's the potter's material that he has. Then we see the potter's work. Secondly, the potter's works. He makes, he makes, it says. Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor and another for common use? And the answer is, yes, he does. Because it's the potter's work. He is the one who is doing it. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he uh, remade it into another vessel as it what? Pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Pretty strong language. But it's the potter's work. It's the potter's work. Remember, Paul is teaching... Ever since we looked at in, in Romans eight twenty eight, all things are working together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose or plan. You see, God has a plan. The potter has a plan. Imagine going out into 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 a, a place where someone is is making a vessel, and you go up to that person and say, "I don't like what you're making, buddy." What do you think that person's going to do? Well, if he's kind of depraved like me and, 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 and uh, full of himself, he's going to probably say, I don't care what you think. I'm the one doing it. And I can make it as I want to. Go off and get yourself a potter's will and you, you make whatever you want. You see, that's what we've got to be careful that we're not doing with God. We need to make sure that we don't come to God and say, I don't like, God, what you're doing. 
I don't like the way I look. I don't like the husband that I have. I don't like so and so and so and so and so and so. And we hurl these accusations at God. We've got to be very careful how you talk to God. Because He is the potter and you're the clay. He is the potter and you're the clay. Be thankful that you are a vessel of mercy. That He has had mercy on you. That He has opened your heart to who He really is. And this is what Paul wants us to understand is that we might just give him thanks and praise and glory for saving us. Not to question him. That's what Satan wants us to do. Satan wants us to question him. To hurl accusations at him. But no, he's got a a, a wonderful plan and he's carrying out that plan for his glory. It's for his glory. And that brings us uh, to the to the uh, to the next thing, to the next point that he is talking about, and that is the potter's purpose. The potter's pur- purpose. You know, uh, you realize that God, with Pharaoh after the first plague, could have said, "It's over." After the first one, and just struck him dead. But we see God's long-suffering with Pharaoh, don't we? Went through ten plagues. You see, so God demonstrated His power in the life of Pharaoh, and we all read about that, of how long-suffering God really is. And so uh, uh, we study God's Word and who He is, and so these things happening, we can understand who He is. And without those things, we would not know what God is really like. Because he is making his power known through these things that happen in this world. So we might focus and keep our attention on him and praise him for who he is. But what do we want to be? We want to be the potter. You see, we want to be the potter. We want to be in control, in charge, instead of uh, bowing to to the potter. And say, God, have mercy on me. Work in me by your mighty power. Change me. Make me more like Christ. Think about it in your own life. What are you doing in your own life? Because this, this is, you see, this is down where we really live, isn't it? You see that? It's where you, it's where you really uh, function in life. So we see the potter's material, then the potter's work is that he is the one who is uh, making the different vessels. He is the one who is doing it. And then we see his purpose. What is his purpose in verse 22? The purpose is for his own glory. For his own glory. For his own glory. Let me, let me ask you this. Have you figured out yet that the center of the universe is not you? Well, we looked, about, we looked at that and in, in about the stars and the galaxies and the billions and trillions of stars. Our God is big. Hallelujah. He is a merciful God. 
And we need to be telling people about His mercy and praying for them to come to know Him like we have come to know Him. If we know Him, if we've been changed by His power, and we're vessels of mercy and we love Him because of that mercy. But it's for His glory. You know, when you read the, the Apostle Paul, it's just, a, and, I, and I was doing this, uh, over and over and over again, the Apostle Paul, what is he, who gave himself for our sins, so he might rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him what? Be the glory forever and ever, amen. Do you do that? Not enough. That's exactly right. That's me. Not enough. Give Him glory. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. He predestinated us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ Himself according to the kind intention of, again, His will to the praise of the glory of His grace. Do we praise Him for His grace in our lives? No, we don't. I don't. I really don't. I mean... I do, and I, you know, but not the way I should. I fall so short of doing that. Amen. Praising Him for the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in Christ. Whoa! Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, we should get glory. No. To Him be what? The glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and ever. One day we will be with Him and we will praise Him forever and ever and ever and give Him the glory for everything that He is doing in our lives. Even the stuff, the sufferings and all the things that we go through that we don't like. We'll realize then it was all for our good. It was working together for our good. And we will understand it and we will praise Him. But what Paul is telling us right here is to do it now. Amen. See, do it now in your life. Don't wait till, the, till you get to glory and find out, boy, I sure wasted my life on this earth. No, he said, wake up and start praising Him and giving Him the glory. Philippians 4.20, now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. See, on and on, you, Hebrews 13, 20, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. I mean, on in Jude 1, 25, to the, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. You see it? It's there. You just, you know, it's just amazing, though, how... How, uh, yeah, blind we are, exactly. We're blind. And not only that, but we see the potter's mark. Lastly, the potter's mark. Very, very simply, the potter's mark. How do you know you have the potter's mark on you? You know, there's some... uh, incredible pieces of pottery that have been made. I don't know if you, there's this maker, it was called Beam, I think. Uh, I don't know if you've been down to Bellingrath Garden and see those uh, ceramics that have been created. I mean, they've got little hummingbirds that look real. 
But you know that's what God is doing to you. That's what He is doing in your life. He is working in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure Amen. by His mighty power. And He wants us to, to, to rest. But do you have the potter's mark? You know, you can, you can get a piece of pottery and you can turn it over and it'll have that potter's mark on it. This thing's worth $10,000. Did you know you're priceless? Because why? Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. His blood cleanses you from all your sin. Have you been washed in that blood? Do you have a potter's mark? You know one thing about a vessel when it's made and and you know he's sculpted, he's finished, his it's empty. It's empty. It's empty. And that's one thing a real true Christian understands about himself is that he's empty. He really understands. He deserves the wrath of God. He really understands that without Christ, he is nothing. He's just empty. And he knows that and he realizes that. And that's why he trusts Christ. And that's why he realizes that all of his righteousness is filthy rags. We'll see next week how these Jews were all about themselves. And and they stumbled over Christ. Because he was a crucified Savior and so forth. But no, do you have that potter's mark on you? That you're his? Do you desire to be filled? Do you desire to be filled? With what? With yourself? With all your interest? With all your stuff? Think about it. No. What does the Christian desire to be filled with? His righteousness. And we'll see that next week. It's his righteousness, not my righteousness. All of my righteousness, not most of it, all of my righteousness is what? Filthy rags. rags. I would ask you, do you see yourself empty and do you desire to be filled with the love of Christ? This is what Paul wants us to see. Is that all glory, all glory is to God. Stop taking the glory. Just give thanks. God, thank you for saving a wretch like me. Because I deserve nothing but your wrath. There's nothing in me that's better than anyone else. I am made of the same lump. See, I am of the same lump. Of clay. Wow. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just thank you that uh, you're the potter and we're the clay. I thank you, Father, that uh, our trust is in you. Lord, we, we can trust in a God who molds us and shapes us, uh, has been merciful to us. And Lord, help us to to realize, God, that uh, you're a God of mercy who loves us, who has a plan for us. And one day, Lord, we will be with you forever and ever in heaven that we might glorify you forever and ever and ever.
But Lord, help us to do that right now. More and more. As we understand more and more of your mercy and grace to each one of us. Pure grace. Pure mercy. We rest, O Lord, in the finished work of Jesus. We rest in the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all of our sin. Help us to fix our eyes on Him, O Lord. Give us grace to do that more and more each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.